namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa puttang dhammang sankhang namasami my voice all right at the back yeah okay nice day the deer are coming herding again. So last night there were two males, five females and two fawns. So they'll probably walk in in the middle of the talk and distract. I haven't given many talks this summer. Um, Ajahn Pavarin was given a lot of the talks, so it's nice to be in the tent again. We've set up this platform in a different way because on the 16th of September, we'll be having an ordination. Aja, uh, Venerable Amr Siri, Venerable Siri Medo will take the full uh, acceptance ceremony to be bhikkhus. So this is a big deal for us. Uh, so if you're, if you're in the neighborhood, please do come. We'll start sometime after lunch. Um, in our in our training as monastics, we have two two streams of teaching. One is a you could say the uh, the social stream, how we live socially, what our responsibilities are, how to practice uh, communal uh, sharing of resources, how to um, practice right speech, how to deal with conflict, how to admonish, how to receive admonishments. So there's a whole um, body of teaching which addresses that part of anyone's existence and that part of the teaching isn't so much known by lay people because lay people are not monks and so the the, the texts are not esoteric they're available to anyone but they're kind of boring to read not very interesting but um, all of us live within some kind of social context where we try to do as much good as we can and as little harm as possible in the way we talk with each other and the way we take care of the environment and so on. And the basic idea of, of say, Buddhist uh, moral philosophy is that uh, our undertaking of moral precepts is, a, is an act of generosity. So when I... I uh, I keep the first precept. I undertake the precept not to kill any living being. I give them the the gift of fearlessness. They're not afraid. So you can see that with the deer. And so the Buddhist morality, or, uh, the moral philosophy, is is couched in the ways of they're not. We don't have the idea of sin and guilt and those kinds of things, but rather than how can I live in this world in a way which is generous? And certainly, nonviolence is a generous thing. Um, and so also with honesty and fidelity and sobriety and, and so on, these are, these are called the Mahadana, the great gift that we can give to, to all beings. So there's a lot that gets described for the monastic community around that how to practice speech which is harmonious and brings concord rather than speech which is divisive. 
how to speak truthfully, and such like. And then also the the second uh, stream of teaching is about training the mind. And uh, sometimes people get these two conflated. So we'll talk about non-attachment, and someone will say, "You mean I'm not? You know, I can't take care of my kids because <laughs> this is non-attachment." Some weird ideas like that. Um, the 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 teachings around training the mind are about understanding our inner world, our perceptions, how sense experience works, uh, how um, how we create in our own mind the causes for suffering, and how we create in our own minds the causes for peace. And that's the basic reason for training the mind is that we, as human beings, we can create causes of goodness. We have that capacity. We're not just doomed to uh, to suffer internally. Um, and vice versa, We, if we're uh, inattentive or, or we don't understand the way things are, how things work, then we can call create the causes for more suffering in ourselves and others. So causality, uh, what are the causes and conditions uh, in my own life which create discord and, and, and conflict? And what can I do? What causes and conditions can I create now which will be conducive to peace and well-being for myself and others going into the future? So I might not um, feel well or I might have some nasty habits that I'm working with or whatever, but I can always, I can always attend to those and consider what would, what would, what would be a good course of thinking, what would be a good course of speaking, what would be a good course of acting in this world, so that the causes and conditions of suffering don't uh, get get deeper and 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 more uh, cause me more suffering and others. So there there are things we can do as as human beings. We can we can meditate. But then as we're trying to meditate and peacefully fall asleep. <laughs> so, uh, again, we can do things. We can try to figure out, okay, so post-lunch meditation, hot day, it's very hard to stay awake. Very good meal, a very generous meal, and uh, maybe I took too much, and then whoop, I'm asleep. So there, there are, these are very minor things, really, but there are things which in our lives come to us which sometimes we really can't fix. Death being one of them. We do our utmost to uh, to create good health systems and go to the doctor and take care of ourselves and not drink so much coffee made or whatever. Um, but inevitably, death arrives. So I've been going to hospice a lot this summer. Friends of suffering from cancer and several friends have died. Uh, so reflecting a lot on like terminal when an illness becomes terminal you know it's no longer um, manageable when there's no longer any kind of um, hope for treatment and one then takes on a whole different course of, of, of attitude um, or, or just the aging process or more minor things like moods of the mind that comes through consciousness that Sometimes we can't just change them. We can't fix them. They are as they are. And so one of the, like the primary teachings of the contemplative life is to differentiate between the unpleasant and the desire not to have the unpleasant. So I, could, I can experience pain 
and I can try to move out of the pain. But also in the experience of pain, I can see this pain, which is the, the physical, then there's the emotional reaction to it, and then and there's the desire not to have it, the desire to get rid of. And that desire is very, very important to understand because there's a lot of things we cannot get rid of, and much of life is unpleasant. Much of life is difficult, and, and uh, um, stuff happens, right? Um, so as much as I might try to uh, cultivate the heart or um, uh, be a good person uh, and try to be generous, I might feel very mean-spirited one day. There's nothing right or wrong about that. I don't, I don't intend to be mean-spirited. As much as I might want to be kind and generous and forgiving, I might really hate someone one day. Now, to pursue the hatred or the, or, or the depression or whatever, that, that would be a course of action which obviously leads to more suffering. But also, to, to not recognize that, you know, it's not really a problem. That mean-spirited, in, in terms of the way consciousness works, if I act on mean-spirited impulses, I hurt people, I, I yell at them, I, I cheat on them, or something like that, yeah, that I can, I cannot do that if I, fee- if, if, if I feel negative in some way. But is feeling negative in itself in some way wrong? Do I always have to fix it? Huh? Or is it just a natural occurrence that happens in consciousness? Is it not just natural to feel sometimes uh, fed up with the world? Or with your family? Or with your body? Or with whatever? Is that not just a part of nature? And if, if one's contemplating the Four Noble Truths, uh, what, we're al- what we're always trying to uh, hone in on or, or, or tune into is there is this situation now, it feels this way. And what is the resistance now, say in the terms of negative? What is, it, what is the resistance? And the resistance is different than the feeling itself. You know, I might feel um, like, let's say, someone comes into a room and I find them unpleasant because of their behavior or, or, or whatever. And uh, socially, I, I can't really do anything about it. And I just find, for some reason, they're loud or they're, their political views are different than mine or they're not politically correct, whatever it is. And I find them unpleasant. Right? Now, the feeling of unple- uh, unpleasantness, it just comes naturally from my own perceptions of how, what appropriateness is, how loud I like people to speak or not speak, Right? So I have a, you know, I'm sort of tuned to what I find pleasant. So this person comes in and I find them unpleasant, boorish, or, or whatever I define it as. So that feeling of unpleasantness is kind of like the heat in, in this tent. I, like I find the heat unpleasant. But the resistance to the heat, the not wanting of the heat, is another layer that I'm putting on top of that. Hmm? Now, with heat, you can notice it. It's easy, isn't it? It's, it's some physical phenomena, and we can certainly leave if we want it to, so there's nothing else. But, you know, we just stay, and, and so then, if you're a contemplative, you say, well, what's the difference between the feeling of the unpleasant and the resistance to the feeling of the unpleasant? And that's aversion, not wanting, wanting to get rid of, wanting some other experience. Now, if I, if, I, if I can differentiate that in terms of just being in an environment like this where it's a bit hot and the breeze comes through, well, that was pleasant. 
oh, that feels nice. And then, oh, that's stuffy. And I see how, how, you know, we're so sensitive. Our minds are so sensitive that we're always shifting from pleasant to unpleasant, wanting the pleasant, wanting the unpleasant. And we'll always do that because we're biological beings, right? But that's not a refuge, right? And you see, when I, when I ask you to feel your hands, listen to sound, notice the changing nature of sound, and I ask you to notice that awareness itself isn't dependent on pleasant or unpleasant. It's not dependent on sound or bodily feeling. Bodily feeling comes and goes. It's pleasant or unpleasant. Sound comes and goes. It's pleasant or unpleasant. But awareness itself is the more interesting factor. And so we say awareness, that's the key to peace, not the pleasant or the unpleasant. The pleasant, the unpleasant is the key to consumerism or rearranging the world in some kind of way where it's comfortable. And I do it as much as I can. You do it as much as you can. But we all know that that's, that can't be the ultimate truth. There must be something more profound, I think, about the human condition. And that, it, that is awareness itself. And we're actually very, very profound, but our attention is usually preoccupied with the sense experience, with the pleasant, the unpleasant, or just the wandering mind. Just thinking all the time and fantasizing and grumbling and not grumbling and grumbling that I'm grumbling and so on and so forth. It goes on and on and on. And actually to come to that purity of attention where our mind is no longer engaging with the sense experience but knowing the sense experience. That's what we're trying to do in meditation. We're like when, you're, when, you're, when you just listen to sound, you know sound but you're not lost in the sound. You're not preoccupied with the sound. And actually the sound is simply a vehicle for you to remember awareness. The body is simply a vehicle for you to remember awareness. Huh? That's all we're doing. We're not trying to change sound or get some incredible sound. But we're just using something in the present moment to reflect back that there is this awareness. And if we sustain that awareness, we'll find that it's actually very peaceful. It's very, very silent. You'll notice that quite often in your meditation, that if the first thing you do, you just listen. Oh, you'll notice it's peaceful. And then you'll lose it and you'll think for the whole 45 minutes or whatever. you get lost in something. But it is, it's there all the time, isn't it? It's not something that you create like a, a more cool environment. Or you create a more comfortable situation. That you can do. But awareness, you can either create it or destroy it. Destroy awareness. Go ahead. You can't. Go from here to there and the awareness will be the same. But the... The, the condition, the experience, will be different. So at some level, yeah, we're trying to create comfortable conditions, but at the level of liberation, we would say, we also have to begin to see this resistance to the negative and the infatuation with the positive. Huh? Without, getting, without thinking that we shouldn't do that, not as a kind of, um, some kind of moral absolute that thou must always just suffer pain. You know, that's not it. It's just knowing the resistance to the unpleasant and the, the pursuit of the pleasant. So if we do that, if we, if we are in a situation where it's not threatening, where it's not too difficult, and yet it's somewhat unpleasant, and this happens in meditation, you're sitting in meditation and your leg starts to hurt right? after 15 minutes. All of us, I think, who have done meditation have learned that, oh, that's just pain, that's all. We've moved when we have to, but we've 
learned how to be aware of pain as an object and not resist the pain through craving. And that makes the mind peaceful. I think anyone who's done any meditation, when you start, you feel pain, you shift. You feel pain, you shift. And you end up dancing for 45 minutes, right? And your mind is just restless. And then, and then you say, well, wait a minute. Maybe I don't have to move. And then you watch the restlessness, which is created by the pain. Oh, that restlessness is a reaction. It's not the pain. It's the mind. The mind is reacting to the pain. And then you start to contemplate, oh, this is the resistance to pain. What does resistance feel like? And then you see the restlessness. You see the mind making an addition onto the physical uh, discomfort. You move if you want, but that becomes a more interesting project. To actually understand how your mind reacts to something like discomfort, and you become much more adept at non-grasping. Now what you're doing is you're not grasping the whole habit of attaching to the unpleasant, which you've done before. I've seen that so often with new meditators, like I just did a retreat in Peterborough, and I basically don't look at anyone for two days. <laughs> because people are coming from work, and they've had busy lives and all of that, and they're so restless, right? I just, I either take my glasses off, I'm quite myopic, and I don't look. I just teach. <laughs> And you know, people are struggling. I don't care. I'm just doing my own practice. And then I look after three days. And then, you know, it looks all right. <laughs> it's palatable. But I found, same teaching, is a it's a good example. Uh, when I first started teaching retreats, I'd be looking and I'd be really worried about everyone. <gasps> this one's falling asleep. Oh, this one doesn't look happy on that one. And then I'd, <laughs> I'd react to that and try to teach through that. So I'd give these fierce talks about not falling asleep. And then everyone thought I was angry. <laughs> but what I was doing, I was reacting to the desire that they not fall asleep because I thought that was my duty, that they didn't fall asleep. Very complicated, right? And then I closed my eyes. <laughs> but uh, that desire to fix another person's problem or to always fix my problem. So like if, if a... If a dark mood comes through you and you've seen it a hundred times, you know darn well it'll change. It'll change. And that's what you have to remember. But oftentimes our culture, we're so analytical. We're so into analyzing and figuring out that we, we just keep, we keep mulling it over rather than investigate it and know, well, there's the unpleasant mood. What's the desire? What's the resistance? Where is that? And that's the contemplative mind, right? It's not just reacting in a way of trying to get the pleasant, but it's actually saying, wait, 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 wait. What's going on now? What am I actually experiencing? What does it feel like to feel rotten or blue or dark or whatever it is or excited or, or restless? What's, what's the actual experience now? And so that is something we're learning in meditation when we say, just listen to sound. I just learn to be in a presence. Sound is like this. That becomes an underlying principle that intuitively we begin to apply to the more difficult things, such as physical pain or uh, some kind of emotional difficult state. And we say, well, what's it really like to feel um, lousy? You know, what's it really, really like? Well, usually we don't, we don't open our attention to it. We try to fix it. 
or we seek some kind of compensation by eating food or, or watching Netflix or, or, or whatever, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But there is a, there's a great value in, in taking on these things without getting lost in them, taking them on and say, okay, I'm just going to you know, be with this mood. I'm not going to try to fix it because it's natural. There's nothing wrong with this mood. I'm going to try to practice right speech and not just, you know, seek alcohol or something to distract. I'm just going to see what is this mood really like and what happens with that. It's difficult. It's difficult. But if you stay with it, if you stay with it, you uh, no longer uh, create the causes for more distractions. You no longer create the causes for more compensations. And because you don't create those causes, you're, you're able to be with this unpleasantness, the mind becomes more peaceful. Not because you ran away from this unpleasantness, rather that you stayed with the desire to get rid of it. And in, in the ending of that desire, uh, you begin to get a sense of the mind, the mind's equanimity and peacefulness, irrespective of the mood of the mind, not dependent on the mood of the mind. And this is wonderful. This is a wonderful insight because now, intuitively, and it goes into the back of your consciousness, you begin to operate in a much more um, courageous way, I'd say. You're willing to kind of open up to things like that or much more interested way in these different moods that we might experience. And all the time, the refuge is the same, awareness of change. That's always available. It's always available. So the, the kind of basic strategy that the Buddha is recommending for us is, is um, this is the way it is now. Wake up to that. Make that conscious. So that idea of making things conscious is important. So when I suggest to you, um, j- just, just notice your, your body, the weight of the body on the cushion or on the chair. Now, th- it's not that you're... you're, you're your sense organs aren't operating, you know you're sitting on a chair, but just by allowing uh, attention to abide with that physical area, all of a sudden it becomes conscious. You notice your thighs or your, or your knees or whatever, and it becomes conscious. And usually we, we oftentimes only become conscious of things when, they're, when they hurt <laughs> or, or when they're loud. And quite often we just go into the default mode of thinking, blah, 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 blah. But now what we wanted to be has tried to cultivate full conscious awareness 24-7 to really, really be awake to the way things are. So uh, become fully conscious of this moment. That's the kind of language I like to use. What's this moment like? And that isn't the description. It's an awakening. What does it feel like now? Now, again and again and again and again and again. You try to do that all the time. So then from that basic attitude of the awake mind, then when there's conflict, when there's something, it just isn't working. This is not good. You, you bring out the teaching of the Four Noble Truths. Well, there's the conflict is created by the desire not to have the moment the way it is, to have something else or not to have this. And that basic teaching um, ignites the contemplative mind, and then you're really watching. You're not analyzing. You're not just trying to figure anything out. You say, what is it? What is this? Oh, I don't want this mood. Ah, okay, what's that wanting feel like? And you're very open. And then through experience, just be patient. It'll change. Just be patient. It'll change. It'll change. 
You hang in with it. And so this teaching requires a lot of endurance. It takes a lot of patience to bear with these things. Eh? It's much easier to distract. But distraction is very limited. So you begin to see, oh yeah, what forbearance is the capacity to be with the unpleasant without hurting yourself, without some terrible philosophy of self-mortification. Not that, not that. But rather the pure presence with something which is unpleasant. And then as you're with it, the refuge in awareness becomes stronger and the desire to always run away from the unpleasant falls away. And more and more, you, you, you find the peace of the heart irrespective of the experience or the condition. And that, that's what contemplation is about. Not just meditation, not just trying to calm your mind, but actually using life circumstances and the, and the various difficulties that we have as a... As a, as a, 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 a it's like the the stage where you're working on to understand yourself, the, the laboratory where you're understanding yourself. And so quite often areas of family life or work life or, or physical life become very challenging. You have illnesses which you can only fix marginally, um, family situations where someone in the family has just gone off track and you can't do much about it, or all manner of things happen. And you do as much as you can socially, but inwardly, what's the problem? What's the problem? Oh, I don't want life to be this way. I don't want my kids to be that way. I don't want my parents to be that way. I don't want my body to be whatever it is. But it's this way. It's this way now. So it's very kind of sobering, but it, it, is, it is the inclination to peace rather than the inclination to always be caught up with sense experience. Buddhism has this philosophy which is, it doesn't negate sense experience. It doesn't say that sense experience is right or wrong. It just says that sense experience is limited. Happiness is limited. It's not bad. I mean, I like to be happy. I like to be comfortable. It, but it's not, it's not liberation. It's simply comfort. And that sometimes gets, gets uh, conflated with uh, the kind of Abrahamic traditions which sometimes tend to portray sense experience as being bad. There's nothing bad about it. It is as it is. There's nothing bad about an ice cream cone. <laughs> it is what it is, right? But ice cream cone is not Nibbana. <laughs> Even vanilla. <laughs> it's, not, it's not transcendent. It's not liberation. It's not the end of suffering. It's simply a pleasant ice, ice cream cone. So seeing that limit, seeing the limitations of sense experience, you can enjoy sense experience to a certain extent, but you're not fooled by it. You know there is more to life than just the pleasant. And that's, that is a, a kind of maturity of the human consciousness. Again, if it, this gets conflated with ideas that sense experience is wrong or bad, then you feel guilty about pleasure and so on. But that's not it. That's, it's, not, it's just limited, that's all. It's just limited. So the realization of the Buddha was the unlimited, that which is not limited by sense experience. And that, for I think, for a, a spiritually inclined person, is very interesting. It's very, very interesting. But that doesn't mean we negate beauty or comfort or all those other things. So it's in some way, it's a win-win situation, right? But the more you practice in this way, the mind which is always excited becomes boring. Because you see, the excitement itself is coarse, right? Whereas the mind, which is silent and still, becomes naturally much more attractive. And so there's a, there's a kind of letting go or, or relinquishment of, of 
the mind going away from the heart, the mind going into objects all the time, because, no, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that. So then you can engage with objects, do creative things, but you realize it's limited. And the heart becomes more and more at peace with just staying home, just staying home in, in that state of awake state. All right, I'll leave that for your reflection. Sarukaranda Dhamma Se Sarukaranda Dhamma Se